Hi, and welcome back to the European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love our show, share it with your friends and join us in the EU VC community syndicates at theeuropeanvc.com. Today, we're happy to welcome Hampus, general partner at the early-stage climate tech venture fund, Pale Blue Dot. Prior to co-funding Pale Blue Dot, Hampus was a venture partner at science fund Blue Yard and a prolific angel investor with more than 100 angel investments. He's a software engineer turned founder, turned angel investor, turned VC. When not working with ambitious climate people, Hampus cooks and reads. If you enjoy our content, do support us by hitting the follow button, giving it a review and following us on LinkedIn. Want to be on top of who the best up-and-coming emerging VCs in Europe are and maybe even invest with them? Register for our newsletter at theemergingvc.substack.com and be the first to get in the know. Campus, super cool to have you on the European VC. We're recording live from Tech Barbecue. So before we deep dive into who you are, Pale Blue Dot and everything around that, tell us, why are you here? It sounds horrible, but I usually go to events because there are lots of awesome people congregating. So like, I think it's kind of sad because I think if you invited a lot of people and said, we're going to meet up, people wouldn't really come, right? But if you say, we're going to have great speakers on stage and this, people will come. But honestly, most people don't listen to the people on stage, right? People go and get a coffee with a coffee with a friend and acquaintance and sideline the second part. So I haven't seen a single great speaker. I haven't listened to any of the great panels and everything. And it's super sad, but I've met a ton of people I love and like had a great time. And uh, that's why I usually go to events. It's super funny because we're putting together our events around the thesis of, well, we're not going to do anything focused on business because we know that we all love what we're building. So we'll, when we meet, people that are like-minded, we will make business, it's right? Happen, it'll, exactly. it'll happen anyway. Yeah, we went uh, kayaking with our founders on a retreat like yeah. three weeks ago. And uh, a lot of like, especially the Germans were like, so is there an agenda? What's happening? <laughs> and we're like, there's no agenda. We'll arrive this day, we'll leave this kayaking. day. And all of the Germans were a bit like, Amanda, I don't know how this is going to happen. And then everyone's like, oh, it's so nice. We just like hung out and had a great time. And we're like, that's what it is. Like, <laughs> It's Germans and private equity guys. So yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Like, and, yeah, and the early stage VCs are like, oh shit, we didn't plan. Fuck, we're <laughs> <laughs> okay, and so for people that have no idea who you are, yeah. give us the quick rundown. Who are you? Let's pill blue dot. I'm an absurdly interested person. I think I'm like bit by the curiosity bug and like to an extent where it's almost dangerous. Like if somebody says anything about something, I really want to know how it works. So that's always been like my disease and it made me start a company by mistake. Actually, what happened was that I wanted to build an art installation. A friend of mine happened to be on a boat, drunk, and bragged to a dude on the boat about this art installation idea. That dude's mother happened to be one of the biggest arts uh, and science uh, uh, writers in Sweden. That person said, hey, we want that installation you talked about. I mean, he told it to his mother when he sobered yeah. up. And then she called me and said, hey, I want to meet up, do this thing. And I was like, I have okay, no idea. This is the thing I told my friend who's told a friend, right? They no idea. I flew to meet her. She's like one of those, like, you know, six-year-old iron ladies, she knows she's not going to work with this 20-year-old dude, right? <laughs> I'm sitting there reading Gödle Schobach, which is a book I love, and which is about, like, how things go in loops, recursion, and, and her, she happens to be completely in love with Escher, the, yeah. the Dutch uh, artist. So she comes into this meeting, like, a super stern face, like, you know, <laughs> and she's like, what do you think about Escher? And I was like, sorry? Tell me what you think about Escher. And I was like, uh, are you Agnetha? Yes. And I was like, oh, well, and then I started talking about like, well, it's like fugues, like Bach, because this was the book about, right? I was 20 year old, I was not that smart. I said, literally said what I thought. And she was like, that's amazing. I really want you to build this station for me. I was like, oh, whoa, whoa. <laughs> and um, 
we are paying the artists that are building the bigger things 50,000 euros. So I hope that's okay with you. And I was like, I'm 19, 20. I was like, yeah. holy shit. I was like, that's great. Okay, great. I'll get back to you. But you can invoice that, right? And I was like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I walk out and call my friends. Like, we have to invoice this thing. He's like, oh, we should start a company. <gasps> shit, we can buy computer gear and deduct the VAT. And we're like, fuck yeah, that's amazing, right? So we start a company and they realize we don't have the money to start a company. So we start calling friends. Like, do you want to join this company? They were building this arts installation. And all our friends are like, nah. But then a couple other friends are doing a thing. They're doing special effects for a movie, like as when they're in, in uni. So they're like, yeah, we can join. We can just like fake, you know, we're in the doing one thing, we're doing another thing. So we start a company, six friends, invoice this arts festival thing. We invoice the whatever project, whatever. And in that time period, one of our friends happens to raise his hand at Sony and Ericsson because Sony and Ericsson acquired each other. And then like somebody said, we need to do color screen interfaces. But this is back in 2001. So you know, your, your mobile phone looks like a microwave oven. But like somebody from Sony says, we want a PlayStation phone. And the Swedish people being Swedish, they were like, okay, uh, yes. And not saying, fuck, you're crazy. We can't do that because they're Swedish. They were like, don't say anything strange. So then he got tasked, like, can you fix it? And he calls us after a couple of months saying, fuck, I'm, my ass is on the line. Like I had promised like Japanese bosses that we're gonna do this. And we said like, we don't wanna do it. Like, I mean, mobile phones, 2000, remember that were super boring. So we said, Simon, we can do it, but we'll charge you um, 50,000 euros. You know, like the highest amount we've ever heard. Yeah, he was like, 50,000 euros. Okay, I'll check with the boss. It's a big amount. I mean, he's also our age, right? He calls his boss, his boss says, okay, whatever. He, the boss calls us and it's like 50,000 euros. You mean per phone model, right? And we're like, yes. yeah. And he's like, okay. And you mean like NRE on top? We're like, yes. We're like, I don't even know what this means. It's like, okay, cool. How many phones do you per year invest? A 10. <laughs> Half a million dollars. We're like, holy shit. So this company scales from like the six dudes who want to build the arts thing and buy computers and deduct VAT to 180 people globally, like offices in you know, Taipei, Tokyo, Seoul, Chicago, San Francisco, Sweden. <laughs> End up like licensing to everybody who builds a phone, like shipping in 12% of the world's phones. Just crazy. And it's like, we go from banana shell to banana shell jumping around to the degree where like every single thing that you can think somebody can be stupid about, we were stupid about. The first invention we did, which was amazing, was that, now I'm not talking about company, like software and coding, we knew what to be doing. But like one day, one of the people at Sony Ericsson called and said, so we got this invoice from you and it says 8,000 euros, but you ship 20 of these, like a thing we did. Is it per piece or is it 8,000 in total? So it's like 160,000 euros, or is it 8,000 euros? And it was my colleague who answered. He was like, uh, it was total, because that was the truth, right? And, it was, and he hung up. And I was like, Michael, was it? it was the Sony Ericsson people that said this. I was like, oh, you stupid fuck. You should never answer. You could have said per piece. So we've got like okay. 1.6 million crazy. <laughs> and, like, and he was like, how do we fix this? And we we're like, I have a brilliant idea. We do a thing where we hand over a thing where it says, call me if you want to talk about sales, and call you if you want to talk to tech. Write, write our names, our email addresses, our phone numbers, and then like coding, sales, yeah, yeah, like VP sales. We invented business cards. We literally came up with this idea on our own, and we were like geniuses until we realized everybody has business cards. But we were like, wow! We are so That was so smart. So we just did like 10 years of total stupidity, and then like did a lot of crazy things. We ended up designing Android for Google, shipped in crazy lot of phones, and then one day Blackberry calls and says, hey, we want to acquire you. And we were like, what? I don't think you want to acquire us. Like that's, it, a lot of good people called us and said, we want to acquire you, and they ended up not acquiring us. So like, we were like, whatever. Flew there because we thought there might be a customer. They end up acquiring us, $150 million. They were like super in love with us. And then the day of the acquisition, they tell me, I want you to run an M&A. And I was like, M&A, buying companies. It's like, I come from a science family. I know a lot of science stuff. I know how to code. I know how to run teams. I know how to sell stuff. I know how to market. But like, finance, I'm like an anti-capitalist. So like, I'm against capital. So like, don't, I think I'm the wrong person. And the CEO was like, either you do that, 
or you're the general manager of the UI units. And I was like, 250 people, I don't want to do it. I hate that shit. <laughs> he was like, yeah. So I was like, oh shit, I'm going to do this. So then I end up saying like, okay, I'm going to run M&A for them, for Europe and do stuff and do licensing and M&A and everything. And then realizes that I've never thought about it, but capital can be a way to create innovation. Like you meet amazing people and you're like, oh, what if you got 200,000 euros? Then you'd go do it. I would be like, shit, so it doesn't only is like deep thinking and like sweat and coding. I was like, wow. So then I started angel investing with the blessing, of course, of BlackBerry. Started investing, angel investing in 100 plus companies, like really falls in love with it, like really love helping founders, especially doing stuff that people are not investing. So if everybody at that time did whatever, I don't remember what people did in 2007, but like, you know, the mobile phone app, whatever, for, I was like, I'm not going to do that. But somebody's like, oh, we're doing this uh, menstruation tracking app. I was like, I love that because nobody does that. So somebody should do that, right? Yeah. So I did a lot of those. And like today you would brand it as contrarian thinking. For me, it was more like bored. I don't want to do stuff that I'm like, not understand what's going on. Like it was, I've never thought about how to track menstruation with an app. Of course not. I'm a dude. Yeah. So it was like, oh, I'm really curious and I'd love to help out. So that ended up happening. And then I ended up being asked by a fund in Berlin. Can you join us and do a lot of like our more like science investing for them? Yeah. And I was saying honestly to them, I really despise VCs, because even if I'm now interested, capital can be used. Most VCs are total douchebags. They're like 40-year-old dudes, white dudes, that think they run the world. And I don't like that at all. It's essentially colonialism, but rebranded as something else. So I like politely well, said that. capitalism. Right? It is capitalism in a sense, right? And I just felt like I'm not super keen. And they said, oh, okay, okay. And then they invested in one of the companies I invested in. And the founder called me back and she was like, I have never met people that are this smart and this nice. And I was like, oh shit. No, I was like, you have to talk to them. I was like, okay. So I called them back, the event you're doing in two weeks, what's that about? And they're like, it's about not trusting your governments and not trusting countries. And I was like, what is a VC? Who's speaking? Uh, the first speaker is Edward Snowden. I was like, holy shit, I'm coming down. <laughs> so I went down to this event, East Berlin, you know, like, no, I mean, East of Berlin is East Berlin. It's like, everybody's like tattooed and shaved and magenta here. And I, I put on a like a shirt, which I never really wear. And I was like, oh shit, I look like a goat. I'm going to be killed. They're going to think I'm coming from London. Came in, I was like completely in shock how great it was. And there were three people in front who took notes and listened. And I was like, who are those three? The three people at one. I've never seen VCs take notes before. I was like, shit, they can write. I was like, I mean, joking, but you know what I mean? Most VCs are like, they talk, but they never want to think. Uh, so I was like, whoa. And end up like completely in love with them. And then they say, can you please join us? And I was a bit, we were a bit back and forth for a couple of weeks. And then I realized I really wanted to do this. Worked for them for two and a half years and really loved the thing they did so amazing, Blurred, was that they had a strong thesis of how they wanted the world to be. And then they looked at all the companies and invested in it. So they said, I think fusion is going to be around. So let's go and talk to everybody who does fusion. And like most VC funds, especially back like five years ago, they didn't do that. They were like, look at the metrics. Are they good? Look at the CAC LTV ratio. Cool. Like what I love, they were like, will there be clean meat? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. Then we just like think about it and find it, right? Like kind of like PE funds do, but for early stage. So intellectual, so amazing. And also like action driven. It was not like think about it from years, but like actually go and do a deal. And I loved it. And then after like roughly two, two and a half years, I started feeling, what if I can do this in something I care about like deeply, deeply? Which fund was that? The Blue Yard. Yeah, Blue Yard. Yeah. yeah. And I do, I, the topics I really care about, I really have an issue with like trust and like trust in institutions, trust in people. I feel like such pain. It feels like a tax on society when people yeah. don't trust each other. And I have like a massive headache with inequality because like it feels like we have this massive board game, but the problem is like 90% of the people cannot be playing the board game. They can sit yeah. in the back and it's just shitty. Yeah. And then the third thing is climate change. So I was thinking, what the fuck? What can I do? Invest in trust. And I was like, how do you do that? Like crypto, like, I don't know, like, crypto is like no trust almost. And like inequality is like, yeah, you couldn't be an inequality fund, but that is more like who you invest in. And if you like, that means they can do anything. I'm not sure if I'm in love with that. And if like climate change, and I was like, you can't invest in climate change because you're in a clean tech, like there was a clean tech bubble. Right. So then I asked Blue Art, it's like, could I do like a climate event 
like in Berlin, invite the who's who and like try to figure this out. Yeah. And they were like, go, oh, we love it, do a thesis. And I did it and I met these amazing companies and were like, this is amazing. And then at Blue it was obvious that if you're gonna do a climate, you have to like be full on because like it's really complicated. Yeah. You have to understand a lot of stuff. So I kind of pitched them, should we do a fund or like, should I do a fund with you? And they were like, we you know, toy back and forth. And I was like, no, it won't work. Like you should do your own fund, like it's better, right? It's like, and then Heidi and Ewell, two of my good friends, I was in the IC of their micro fund. And I was like, yeah, they were starting the race fund too. And they're very different than I am, but like, we're very complimentary. So we started chatting and then Heidi was like, we should do this fund together. I was like, yeah, maybe we should do this fund together, right? And then we went like September, 2019, we said, let's go raise a fund. And then we started raising the fund in September and then opened the fund in June 2020. So like, yeah. whatever, like eight months ish later and started investing. And I think that during that time, of course, like blow by blow had to refine what the hell does climate tech mean? I mean, where are the edges? Is it like, do we only do batteries? Do we only do software coming from the sky? Do we do hardware? Do we do software? Do we do agriculture? Whatever. And like, of course we wrote like a thesis document, whatever, when we raised the fund, we had a lot of deep thinking, but you know, when the rubber hits the road, you realize, oh shit, this like is GMO climate? Is it good or is it bad? Yeah. And you have to look at it and it's like, hmm, yeah, what do you think? So that is an amazing experience of actually of how, and, and like honestly a massive humility of actually looking at these things and being just like, we have to be very thinking. And I think that the funny thing is like us as GPs and like Heidi Ewell and I, we're not your typical run of the mill, like, you know, PhDs in four subjects yeah. kind of people. We're founders. We love yeah. building companies and not like the track the CACL TV ratio, but actually like, you know, the building of the companies and hiring and like the culture and yeah. stuff. So we were discussing like, what do we do? And then we realized very early, it's like what we do is like we do super early stage. So that's where it is. Like super early stage, it doesn't matter if you work with batteries or, or like mobile apps. You have all your problems are like, how do you find the like mobile yeah. product? How do you hire? How do you get co-founders, whatever? So that's like what we honed in on, even in like fundraising everything. And that's what we've done. Yeah. So like we're 1 million, 10%. So we're like super, super early and we're super collaborative. Because like most funds in Europe, they had gone to this like, you know, they want 15, 20% shareholding. Yeah. And I get it because the returns are not like multiple billions. So like, if you want to return yeah. like bigger funds, you need 20% shareholding. And we kind of felt we love when we co-invest, like we used to be angels and like run microphones, right? So we loved when we kind of saw a company, we're like, we want to do this, but we want to do it with index, random, atomic or whatever, because that's fun. Yeah. And those were the best deals. Yeah. It was like you complement each other and stuff. Yeah. So we thought that's what we want to build. The culture we want to build is like, we do a deal, and we then want to invite or we co-invest with somebody who we feel like either in the geo that they are yeah. or like complementary skill sets and stuff. And that's kind of the MO we've had. And it's like so far it's been. And if I could just interject something there, because typically you hear that strategy from someone doing a 20 million euro fund. But Pale Blue Dot, first fund, 87 million. Yeah. Second fund is probably going to be bigger. Yeah. <laughs> and still you say we prefer the co-investment model. We prefer going for 10% for a million. Could you take me a bit through that thinking and also how LPs have reacted? Because it's not typical to see the co-investment model be well taken no, uh, in, I, in Europe. I think that we have the disadvantage and the advantage, is it like it's a double-edged sword, is the fact that the second you do climate, some people are like, oh shit, we did clean tech, I'm not going to touch this yeah. again, right? Yeah. <laughs> burn. And then some people are like, this is where we're going to put our money. So like, I would say like 20-30% of our, our LPs are like very kind of we want to do climate. Yeah. And then they check the boxes and everything else to make sure we're not stupid. Yeah. And then I would say 50% of our LPs are like, I love the fact that you're founders. Yeah. So they're like, finally, founders are doing a fund. Yeah. And then I think we have like 30% who are like, what's the model? How does this work? And they want to know, it's like we have Credit Suisse, for example. Yeah. They were like, you know, whoa, 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 let's go through the fund model. Yeah. We're the great luck, because like where Heidi Ewell and I are different, it's like Ewell is the, he's like the edge, Mr. Edge case. 
So he's like, he has a fund model for every single fund size, every single, like seriously, one RLP said, I'm really worried about the fund model. And I've never seen you all smile from such a comment. He was like, they did a separate one and a half hour call about fund model. And like you will use this an amazing fund model program that we all love. And the funny thing is we've recommended that program. There's an online tool called Causal. And we've recommended Causal, I think for 10 plus funds. I mean, to the ones that are like the top tier funds in Europe, we've had conversations with them where they're like, how the, f what is this tool? And he was like, it's Causal. And I'm like, oh, so it, how expensive is it? And I was like, well, we're a 87 million fund. I think yeah. your 550 million it. fund can afford it. And we're like, it's amazing. So like, you will love fund model. So like, we've done a lot of scenario planning and thinking about how we actually deploy capital to think about what's our initial check. And like, the headache is sometimes you meet founders that are very early and you think, should we give them a million for 10%? Yeah. Yeah. Or should we give them 500K for like, whatever, 7% and then buy a bit more? Yeah. So like, what I think is super cool is that if we look at our initial tickets, everybody with one, we've 23 tickets so far, everybody with one ticket is like 940, K euros yeah. for 9.6% is the, I think is the median. I think is the average is like 20K from and like 0.2% yeah. from. So it's like everything is there. We're one deal which is not doing that. Yeah. But everything else is like we've stuck to the strategy. I think what we've found a lot with LPs is that a lot of LPs, they massively respect the fact that you do what you say. Yeah. So I think that the question we see now is, of course, is like what happens with returns? And the thing is, like, I think if you do fund modeling, if you're a $100 million fund, you, like the math is kind of you need to hit one unicorn, right? Yeah. If you're a $150 million fund, you kind of need to hit two. Yeah. So like that's one of the reasons why like being an 87 million euro fund is like if we hit like two solid companies and like even like European good companies, yeah. that's it, right? Which means that if we go on and raise a 250 million dollar fund, well, you have to have 20 percent share yeah. There's just no way you return a 250 yeah. million dollar fund unless you do like you know yeah, you, yeah, you lower yeah. the targets. Like we love that part. I think that's the thing I think I love about us as a team as well is the fact that I think we bounce between being like hyper-emotional, in the founder's shoes, I mean, super empathic, and like yeah. then moving over to being like absurdly clinical and being yeah. like completely spreadsheety and being yeah. like, I don't, need to talk to, I don't need to talk to founders. Yeah. I need to understand this and that. Yeah. And then like when we talk to the founders, we are in their shoes. Like we're yeah. sitting there going like, oh shit, your co-founder did this. We have to work with this. We have to figure this out. We have to do this. And then of course you go into stuff which cross. It's like, yeah. how do you allocate an ESOP or something, which then you need both. Yeah. And I think that's something that I've been really proud of how we've acted that I think it's almost a drawback. I think sometimes I feel like we're too much on the founder side. We have yeah. one deal where you all met them, he fell in love with them, I talked to them second, and I talked up the valuation 20%, and then we invested, and you all are still cursing me. He was like, why did you increase the valuation? And I was like, they're amazing. I think they needed a bit more cash. And you were like, yeah, but you increased our valuation. And I was like, yeah, but I mean, think about it. If we would have, I mean, if, honestly, the valuation is fair. And it's like, yeah, but as a VC, you should do your business and not negotiate yourself upwards. I'm still happy we did that because I think that they needed the cash. It's better to have a slightly more cash and we didn't want them too diluted. Yeah. So it is a balance, right? To think yeah. about very rational or very kind of... Let me ask you, without yeah. going into fund model details, because mm -hmm. that's not at all what I want, but you what I'm curious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. We'll get him in the next episode. Yeah. No, but I'm more interested about portfolio construction and you're thinking about it because yeah. 87 million, 1 million ticket, yeah. like, what is the follow-on strategy? Yeah, yeah. Just guide us through 50 that. 50% follow-on. Yeah. So like typically we do 1 million and sometimes it's staggered, right? So sometimes it's like, that is the 700K and yeah, we do yeah. like, you know, whatever, yeah. 300 or sometimes 400 or whatever yeah. to get. Depends on how big, the, the, the headache last two years, of course, yeah. or last year, was that we maybe did 600 and we got like, whatever, 8%. And we like, okay, so like we can easily see that we get the remainder here for what we think. And then they went out, there was like a bazooka, it's like 5 yeah. million seed round. And we're like, yeah. okay, that fucked up our averages. And now we have to decide, do we actually go up and, you know, cough up the money and get to 10% or do we say this is crazy and we don't? And that's like one of the complications. But anyways, after that, when they come to the quote unquote A round, which I think we don't even know what that means anymore. Yeah, I think, yeah, exactly. The, the <laughs> next big round after the seed round. I think the way we put it is the round we wouldn't do. Yeah. So like we want to own 10% yeah. 
when the round comes where we wouldn't do this round, we, uh, we wouldn't, I mean, if we met the company at that stage, we would just pass and say, fuck, we yeah. missed them. Yeah. So that round we want 10% of. And now we do parada, like stay. So like we do that quote unquote A rounds. And now when the B rounds comes around, we look at them and we want to do like some, but then usually what we look at is like, which fund is it? What are the, like, you know, the underlying metrics? And we do those. And like, I think that the danger for any fund is what this two years, have, and a lot of funds have been celebrated. Yeah. Oh, it's great. The thing is that it's not good because you end up deploying reserves in companies that will die. So you get a lot of paper value and, and you deploy reserves in companies that will go down. So like the thing which is biggest headache is that we want to deploy our B's and the C's in companies that will be around. Yeah. And when the water turns to mercury and every boat floats, you're just going to throw money on boats that will definitely sink when water's going to go back. Right. So that was one of the headaches, which in a sense, we're fairly honestly happy that the world has changed into the world where good operators and good VCs yeah. figured out. Whereas I think 2021 was the year was like, you know, threw dots on a board and we're like, 5X deal. I was yeah. like, yeah, but, but who invested in the next round? You don't even know who they are, right? Yeah. Some like SPV of some family office maybe. And we're like, oh, is yeah. it like a Kazakhstan family? No, it's not. It's the US fund, is it? So like there were a lot of those things where I think ran around, which was just a bit scary. Yeah. And a lot of like yeah. tourist VCs, which I think that in a sense, it's amazing because you have companies that have a more cost to run who could. Yeah, run raised run. in that environment. Exactly. The problem was the effect on everyone else who didn't. Yes, exactly. And also, I think the headache is the companies that maybe didn't reach product market fit, who maybe needed you know, a million more, they end up raising four million yeah. more, which means now they need to get their metrics going, otherwise they're dead. Yeah. So I'd I think love to ask you a question about the state of climate tech. Yeah. Because, or as a VC sector, right? <laughs> Not yeah. as an actual tech. Because when you walk around here at Tech Barbecue today, I cannot count the number of new climate tech fund managers that I'm tripping over almost, yeah. right? I don't think we, in any way, have gotten too much capital to the tech sector, no, 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 no. but is the capital in the right people's hands? What well, is your feeling from all, because these guys are your co-investors and you're seeing them in deals and then you're, yeah. you're vetting the deal and they're like, what the hell? What? I think that it depends. I think that depends. I think that there are three kinds of climate tech problems, or let's zoom out, there are three types of climate problems, I would say. There are inequality problems, there are infrastructure problems, there are innovation problems. So like inequality problems are like, okay, so this island is sinking, or like, I mean, Bangladesh has yeah. uh, floods. Yeah. And then we can sit there and be like, oh, I wish we could, it's like, yeah, how do you do that? Like, it's really hard, right? So like, yeah. it feels like it's not a zone for venture that yeah. much, sadly, I wish there was. Yeah. And you have some companies that are like, oh, actually you could do something. Then you have infrastructure, which venture sucks at. It's like upgrade all the bridges. It's like venture is like, oh, PE is like, oh, wow, we can deploy a lot of money for a lot of years, right? And then you come innovation. And innovation is like suddenly where actually like venture plays. I think there are going to be two kinds of venture, or two kinds of, sorry, funds coming forward with climate tech. And one of them are going to be the infrastructure funds who will say like, we will, you know, lease you land. Someone like 2150 in that one? They're like a blend, right? So like yeah. they, I think that also because that's also back to your fund model part. It's like, if you want to deploy like a $250 million fund, yeah. Like, it, you're not that, it's not that bad actually, yeah. giving them 10 million maybe yeah. in venture debt. Yeah. I mean, now, yeah. like, 2050 doesn't do that. But you know, like, I yeah, think but they're part, close partners too, right? And that's exactly. part of the package. So I can see that if you're an LP yeah. in like a fund that says we do a lot of infrastructure stuff, they're going to build a bit factory as an LP is like, that's great. Like, yeah. they just deploy 30 million for a 4% interest rate yeah. over 20 years. You'd be like yeah. rubbing your hands yeah. at that, right? Yeah. Whereas, like, you know, the venture has, of course, like, People want the massive multiple, yeah. but they know that most of it's going to go down the drain. Yeah. So, like, I think that if you're on teacher pension fund and you want to deploy like a billion, which fund do you put it in in climate? Yeah. It's hard, yeah. right? So, I think it makes sense. But then, if you zoom into the innovation bubble, I think the headache there is that I think that there's so many things in climate tech that 
I mean, I think they're dividing in different parts. They're one part that actually will be handled better by industry. Yeah. Like, you're just going to see how the heck... This is a, it is a CapEx game, maybe. Yeah, okay. And usually, like, I think that, for example, clean meat is one of those, where I think that clean meat, there's some innovation. Yeah. But when you actually figure out the innovation, you need to build large vats, yeah. and you're going to beat people on price. Yeah. So who does that today? Well, the big pharma companies. Yeah. So the thing is, if you're investing in a clean meat company, essentially you're hoping that either you can lease the equipment from big pharma, and what do you have left? You have some IP that a lot of companies have, so then probably you're going to exit to the big pharma, because in five years yeah. or 10 years, the big pharmas are going to do yeah. you know, clean meat. Yeah. So those are the ones where I feel like this is actually one by the encumbrance, probably. It, they need a bit of a nation, but then they're yeah. going to yeah. go it, right? And then I think then you have the other part, which are purely infrastructure which is like, okay, this is just infrastructure. Like, but it's not all the way to like bridges, but it's very close to that. And then you have the third bucket, which is really, really a lot of innovation. And you can see the business model being aligned with it. So like, I think that I would say that we need a lot of fund managers to handle nice, all like, of these. Uh, 2BX and that kind of thing. I think that 2BX is interesting because they look at infrastructure with an innovation mindset. Yeah. So like, I think it's interesting because they come from a world where like we are a property developer yeah. and we see the world of a property developer and we realize that how do you do BIM, structures, how do you do yeah. sustainability modeling? They know all the problems. So yeah. like how can you do that? And I think then you come from the sector, right? And I think we probably need that. I think that I wish we had that for chemistry. I yeah, wish we had that for yeah. a bunch, right? So I think that if you look at where we're from, we're from where we're founders. Yeah. So if somebody says we do battery recycling or we do electrical vehicle charging or we do GMO food or we do recyclable clothing, yeah. like we don't quote unquote care. Yeah. I mean, we go in as like, how good is your founders? Then we have an amazing researcher. We have like a lot of people to ask yeah. and ask about the topic. Yeah. But I believe if we were three chemists, 99.999% yeah. of stuff in, in climate tech, we would be like, uh, my degree is in molecular chemistry. Yeah, As like, I'm not shit about this, exactly. <laughs> I think our background is like, we invested in 150 plus companies, which yeah. means that we know, I mean, this is a bullshit yeah, thing, yeah, but yeah. like, we kind of know what good founders look like. Yeah, yeah. I, of course we do and we don't, right? But we also like, we know working with people that like, it's the uncertainty when you're early. Yeah. And we love that part. Yeah. So it's not only maybe how good we are, but we love it. Yeah. Which I think is like, that's the edge we put in. So then back to the co-investment part, when we then look at a company where it might be like a massive like spreadsheet company where it's like your razor thin margins, like something, yeah. then we can help the founders with a lot of stuff. But do I love spreadsheets? I mean, the honest answer is I love spreadsheets, but I hate other people's spreadsheets. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I, I literally I model our vacations in spreadsheets. My wife don't like, she doesn't like my spreadsheets. I love spreadsheets, but I just hate reading P&Ls because like you just sit there and like, what the heck? But the thing is, there are funds that love spreadsheets that are like, so the thing and is we- are the ones you bring in. And exactly, so like, for example, we did Eka Ventures. We've done two deals with Eka in London. We love Eka. They're Eka, like due diligence, like crazy. They're really, really solid. They know what they're doing. They're super nice to work with. Like. Do they love uncertainty? No. John and Camilla hates uncertainty. Do Heidi, you and I love uncertainty? Hell yes. So like we're like, oh, we're helping with all the shit they don't know. And then when they come to like, we're gonna structure the PLs or we're gonna think about leasing, we're like, John, Camilla, do you have uh, <laughs> yeah, any, do you have any good ideas here? <laughs> that is what's needed in, in climate tech. That's where needed, climate honestly, tech is. I think is it's different. needed in everything. Honestly, I think it's needed in everything. I mean, there's some companies, but I think that, I mean, I've co-invested with lots of amazing funds. Yeah. I think most GPs, what they want to do is they want to come to the like board meeting. If you look at the seed and the A, they want to come to the board meeting, read the material, honestly don't read the material, read them on the flight, come there and nod and say, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then they want to say, oh, we met the person, we know this person, hand you over. And then you have an associate in the meeting who take crazy notes and try to figure out stuff and gives a recommendation. But the GP kind of doesn't know that much. That's how most funds are, right? And I think that's the truth of it. And honestly, I think that sometimes like Heidi and Ewell and I are that person for the actual problem of like, manipulating DNA with machine learning. Not my topic, but I can help the founders when they like when they have the meeting and I feel like, Will, it seems to me 
that you're really afraid about burning cash. Yeah. And Will being like, yeah, I'm afraid we can't raise money. I mean, like, but you realize you can never raise money unless you can deploy money. And him being like, oh, and that I can do, right? So if he works with electric vehicle charging or she works in, you know, battery supply chain, I think the part that we do is the part of like, how do you run a company when you don't know what you're doing? And not because you're bad, but because nobody knows because you're working in innovation. So I think that that's the part we kind of play. And I think that what I feel is that this is the same thing if you did whatever, a virtual reality company, is like, which VCs do we meet out there? Let me take any VC fund. Look at their, we can just like plot all the VC funds, take their latest deal, and then ask me which partner has a background in that. None. Like you have, you have the quantum fund that did a quantum deal, yes. But that's like, you know, margin, right? So most VC funds, they handle the fact that you don't know what you're doing, which is like what you're supposed to do, right? Yeah. And I think that there are only a few areas like whatever, fusion and quantum and whatever, when you do have vertical funds. And yeah. I think that the vertical funds then are very vertical. And I think that the problem is that you have competitive issues, right? Yeah. I think that if, for example, if you're a gaming fund, that works because you have great connection to publishers or monetization stuff, and you can invest in competitors because yeah. they don't really matter. Yeah. But if you're like a, you know, a direct-to-consumer fund, yeah. you can't. I mean, after a while, you'll be like, oh shit, another soda. Yeah. How are we going to handle this? Because, so like we we done one and we're competitive, right? So, yeah. drop some bombs during this interview on the typical VCC. We have ourselves as well throughout our interviews. Uh, <laughs> we always phrase it as you know, there's the old guard or the old typical European VC scene, and then there's the new one. We kind of say that, so I deliberately wear the type of clothes I do because that's the type of people I want to, you know, attract to me. If you don't like me because I'm not wearing a suit or a shirt or whatever, you know, you're not my type of person. Mm. When I met you down here, you, I asked you, we know Pale Blue don't, don't really do that much. Uh, I just took taken off my like flyer for, <laughs> please don't talk to me if you have a dress shirt. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Looks like exactly. a rainbow. <laughs> exactly. And you know, I think that I'd love to just, you know, because we have an audience here and they're hearing you, you know, saying stuff about the typical VC and that. I'm sure some of them are thinking, am I one of those guys that he's talking about? <laughs> Would you maybe try and put a few words to what do you see as the classical VC scene and what do you see as the new guard? And also, if you see, because that's my view, that we are seeing a new influx of VCs yeah, yeah, totally. and they are amazing and I'm super happy to see that. And I don't want to bash on them when I say that VCs are like no, no, X, no, no. Y, and Z. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, we're our VC too, right? I think that like we we bash a bit on ourselves. I think that we we talk a lot about it. It's like we say like our biggest competitors are ourselves. Like of course there are other funds that are competitors, but we always ask ourselves like the biggest competitor we have is the day we don't show up. Like yeah. we come to the meeting, we haven't read the notes, and we're like that's what that's our competitor. And like deploying money is easy. It's when the founders are fighting and you're you're calling them or flying to them. That's the day you show up. That's the day you become an investor. The day before you were an allocator of capital. And I think that back to the shit VCs, there are plenty of people in suits that are amazing VCs because there are plenty of companies that don't need like nuts innovation and stuff. They are running a good company. They need somebody. I mean, most of the boards we're in, they don't have like massive like P&Ls or allocation problems or structures or legal stuff. They're running like a tiny company and they're scaling it fast. And the thing is that they don't need somebody who were like six years a partner at Deloitte because right. that's the Deloitte person would sit there like, I, 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 sorry, I love these guys, but I can't do anything, right? right? The thing is that when they get to a certain size, you need people who yeah. say, oh, it looks like we're losing, well, what is this? Are we leasing this? Is like what happening here? Or yeah. the offices, can we do this? Can we do that? Or actually this should actually be on the balance sheet. You need that, you yeah, need yeah, that. Yeah. And like not only, I mean, as an auditor, you actually need it as a board because like when you're like 200 people, like a lot of stuff happening, yeah. right? And also there are small companies that are, I mean, if you're doing like, let's say you do it at one of the scooter companies, mm-hmm. 
I mean, if you do any of the scooter companies, the VC who comes in, yes, he or she might have a dress shirt because the problem is a deployment of capital problem. Yeah. I mean, not only for the VC, but for the founders. Yeah. So I would say that when the problem becomes a very binary, it might work, it might not yeah. work problem, well, all your background is out the window. Yeah. But if your problem is like a, this is a business, it works, and now we have to scale it with software and with data and other like magical new tricks, then you probably have to kind of know the insights of a company a lot yeah. more. Yeah. So I think that, I mean, there's a reason where Pelvodot, we tend to, like, one of the things we're thinking about is, like, if a clean tech fund would have done this deal, we probably shouldn't do it. Yeah. Because, like, and we talk to, like, a lot of awesome clean tech funds, and they're like, oh, do you want to join us in this waste management company? They own, like, massive waste management sites and facilities and news crusher and, like, sorter. We look at them and feel like, we talk to the founders, and we're like, not my kind of people, yeah. but like probably a great deal. But like that's a better VC for them. Yeah. And it, the, the founders are not boring. The founders are awesome. They're innovative. But like it's not our thing. Yeah. But we come into somebody who does something where we think that I have never thought about this before. This yeah. is kind of crazy. Then they don't need somebody who says, "What's the CAC LTV?" Yeah. You need somebody who says, "Like, yeah. what can you do for a million euros?" <laughs> yeah. And I think that's. So I don't think that there's good and bad. I actually think that the headache with any industry is that most people. They, didn't, they don't like studying and having PM. They want to go about partying with friends. Yeah. And the problem is like when you are investing a lot of stuff, boring or not boring, sometimes you show up and you look at the people in the eye and try to be like empathic. And sometimes you go in and say, hey, we're losing money every time we deliver yeah. a package. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like just as you have product market fit, just as you have founder yeah. market fit, you also have investor mark, founder yeah. fit, right? Yeah. So like some companies we look at, we just like, this is gonna be a smashing company we're not the people for it. Yeah. And then we do introduce them to funds that we feel like are those. And we, it's not that we, when I meet those people at Tech Barbecue or, or whatever event, I'm not like, oh, I hate you. I'm like, oh, I met a company just yesterday that I think you would love. Yeah. And I like them and I hug them and we have a coffee and I like them and everything. But the thing is that it's just like, I think that we're just different beasts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, of course, there are shit VCs. And I think the shit VCs, they're completely another kind. Yeah. It's not that they were a dress shirt. The shit VCs are the people who really shit on founders yeah, yeah. who exploit founders who actually yeah. don't care if people are burning their souls on the altar and working till a PM. And they, they ask actually them, want them to. They want them to. Yeah. They think it's like, oh, if I ask the founders this on a Saturday, yeah. they're going to work more and they're going to get more out of it. And I feel like whenever I hear a VC doing that, yeah. or an angel doesn't even yeah, yeah. be an institution, like, I just feel like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. And they're like, no, but the people who do that extra, they win. Yeah, the people who do that extra, they, if they're bipolar, they can commit suicide, my yeah, friend. Yeah, yeah. So like, I mean, watch out what you're doing now. And people have no empathy. They're like, I mean, some people, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, and this yeah. is not a VC thing. You have, I mean, yeah. go and work for a big corporate. Yeah, you, I mean, your boss is that boss, person, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, hey, I have friends in suits. I mean, yeah, yeah, I can yeah, like yeah. hand, hand mark. It's true. It's yeah, like, yeah. I'm kidding. But I mean, it's, you know what I mean? It's like, I think it's one of those things where I think that the only VCs I really dislike are the ones that they don't understand the health of being a founder. Because yeah. it is really horrible yeah. to wake up in the middle of the night and thinking, yeah. why, why did I leave my company? Yeah. Yeah. I love to get your perspectives on your LP base yeah. and how you think about using it. I'm asking because we're, of course, LPs ourselves, leading yeah. the syndicates into funds. And we're also very curious, you know, because we have a bunch of GPs listening in and they are very much in the mindset of raising. And mm -hmm. I just see that there is a big value in having an LP base that you actually know how to use and, and yeah. think strategically about how to yeah. use. 2150 are one of those that, that yeah. really have an LP base that they put to good use, right? Yeah, exactly. I'd love to hear how you think about it. It is slightly tricky. I think that we have 70 LPs, 40 of them are operators of yeah. like amazing companies, like the, the Supercell and the Sendesk and the Unities yeah. and like yeah. some of the super unicorns and like amazing companies. And then we have 
10 LPs that have been like more like big companies. They were like startups at their time, but like, yeah. you know, 20 years earlier. And like most of us don't know their names, but like when you actually go to their store, it's like, holy shit, they built a startup like crazy, but like in the 1990s. And then we have 10 or 15 it is, I think, that are massive institutions, like yeah. big, big fund of funds or pension funds and stuff like that. I think that the thing is like, what we haven't done is like we haven't leveraged our LP base in the fact that if we look at cement optimization software, we don't have a person to call in our LP base. And this is a conversation we've had back and forth. It's like, is there a world that you do that? And I think, I mean, 2150, as you said, they're doing that really well. But I think it's one of those things where the problem is, at least, at least like we've talked about it, is the problem is like, I mean, 2150 is like the built environment. Yeah, so, yeah. They, so, I mean, there's some... Automatically many with much wealth. Yeah, <laughs> that they manage. and also like if they want to ask, like they can write 10 problems. Yeah. I think the headache for us is like, anything, right? Yeah. The crazy thing, if you look around you, everything you see around you affects climate. Yeah. Like the lamps in their roof, these ones are using electricity, right? The monitor has like lots of rare components yeah. and minerals. This wood sequesters carbon or does it? I mean, this is this plastic. This thing was moved here. We ate. It's just like, blam, you got everything, right? So do we want the utility company as an LP? I mean, what would we call them about? Yeah. I don't know. Would we say like, how are you thinking about grid stability? Well, how easy is it to contact a utility company about grid stability? Fairly easy. I think this is also, I think, the benefits I find. I actually think one of the things we're all underestimating, I mean, like all of us, us, everybody, is the thing is the best thing that happened to us all in school and in like work is when somebody said, can you prepare a presentation on cement? And you're like, oh my God, this is horrible, right? Because yeah. the thing, the second you had to spend those 80 hours, whatever, looking into cement, that's when you got to a level where you understood it. And there's no way around that. Yeah. So I always feel like, I don't think that when we're looking at a company, I think all of us, us included, we just wish that we could call an uh, like, uh, you know, advisor and say, is this good? And they'd be like, this is great. The problem is it doesn't work that way. And like, I mean, I just talked to a friend outside, like an angel investor who's done a lot of stuff. We actually just chatted about, he now is an operator of a big ag tech company. And we we're talking about it. And I said like, what do you do when you get a lot of ag tech deals? He says like, the problem is I'm so pessimistic. Because I run this company and whenever somebody, oh, this new technology, he's like, fuck that, it doesn't really work. And then he ends up realizing he's wrong, but that's because he, he's an operator, he has a closed mindset, he's trying to just operate a company, he's not looking for innovation. And then you get companies that are huge and you meet the innovation managers. The innovation managers, they just want honestly anything, like yeah. a lot of stuff. So it's one of those things where, I mean, we, this is a discussion that you and Heidi and I have had plenty of times, is like, which are the ideal LPs? Yeah. And I think what we're thinking about when we're raising an X fund is like, we most of all want LPs for fund two, where we want a very strong alignment of what yeah. we're trying to build. Yeah. So like about stuff like trust, about stuff like equality, about stuff like climate. So when we meet a company where we realize, oh, this could look great, but it's actually not that good. We don't want any of our LPs to say, why didn't you do the company? We want to say, no, no, no. We want to send them a quick thing saying, yeah, it looks like a climate, but listen, they actually burn all the garbage. Yeah. They would be like, oh, thank God you didn't do it. Exactly. We don't want anybody to say like, but you lost that money. And the same thing on inequality. We want when we say, this is how our portfolio looks like in founders. We don't want any of our LPs and saying, I don't get why we're investing in like, not like men do that. Anybody like, we're like, you're not our people. Yeah. So that's, I think like one of the big benefits we're thinking about a lot is like, when you come in and raise a fund, which has a topic, you kind of self-filter a lot, right? So I think that if you raise a crypto fund, you filter on that. If you raise a quantum fund, you raise yeah. a like, climate fund. Yeah. And I think that's so a lot of LPs, we have conversations about them, like, you know, why do they want to invest in climate? Yeah. And actually we've declined LPs 
who are measured the shit out of everything. And you went, no, but seriously, like we have two LPs that we declined who did, were big tickets in Fund One who said they wanted carbon reporting from us, from every portfolio company. And we said to them, we can't do that. Because we don't want to put it on. We don't want to put it on the founders. And some of the companies there do biodiversity measurements. Some of the ones do, they do something where like you could squeeze and fudge and calculate carbon, but also that's not what they do, right? And then it's like, I mean, later stage in the A round, the B round, the C round, yes, you can calculate something, right? But now it's two people in a shed. What are you going to do? And so we said no. And then they said, what are you doing? Like, when do you want to take our money? And we said, like, we don't want to put the onus on the founders. I just want to say that as we're sitting here recording, we have a legend of venture yeah, <laughs> walking yeah, yeah. by us. That's the beauty of doing live recordings. It's a, it's all John Draper is exactly, the exactly. Hampus, uh, we're running out overtime already. Actually, that's actually the humanities problem as well. <laughs> that's actually running out of time yeah. in that in that specific case. And we always end our episodes with a quick fire round. Yes. So that's quick answer questions, thirty to sixty seconds each. Are you ready? Yes. First question: What areas, technologies, or sectors excite you the most that most people around you aren't really that excited about? That's a lovely question. I think that... Aside from whale speaking, of course. <laughs> exactly, whale speaking. Exactly, That's a good area. There's one easy answer, which is I like really unsexy businesses. I think that when you find something, you realize it's a real problem. I get super excited. But that's like, a, you know, it's a blanket answer. I think that one of the things I think about a lot is like your scope three emissions is somebody else's scope one. So like what I mean is like when you source product from someone else, like your electricity or employees yeah. does everything else, but you buy product from someone else. Yeah. That's your scope three emissions. That scope three emissions, the cups and stuff you buy, that's someone else's scope one because that's the product yeah. they make. And I think that that vastly supply chain thing is something which I think is super fascinating because like it's almost like you have this crazy big tree and we have to traverse and make that transparent. And that's something I'm like really, really, so like I love supply chains. I think, I mean, and, and like they're so interesting because you see how society works. So that's an area I really like. And then I think that I actually am extremely passionate and think a lot about stuff like GMO crops. Like yeah. we've done one deal and I think it's a, a fighter from their exciting and super amazing company, but I think we can do so much more when we combine biology with machine learning in ways that are not only like longevity, because that's a like yeah. super cool topic, but I think more when you realize, what if you can do this with corn? Yeah. Yeah. And like, that's so unsexy, but like <laughs> corn oil is a big thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So like, I think those things I think are super yeah. interesting yeah. when you start realizing. I think in general, I think in general, I am really excited when you meet founders that are into a really boring thing. We just, I, one of the deals we did like this spring, one founder I love and met, they do energy optimization in steel manufacturing. And like, it's the cool, I've listened to so many podcasts about steel manufacturing. It's like, I didn't know anything about it. It's amazing. And like, think about the fact that steel manufacturing has not improved a lot for like, literally thousands of years almost. It's cool. And like, when you think about how much of society is built on steel, and steel, just like plastic, is a miracle material. Some of the things we do with plastics or steel, we just can't do it with our materials. So I'm so excited. But it's like one of those things where if, if I tell it to my wife, she would be like, can you please stop talking about steel now? <laughs> we had that now. period in, 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 like in uh, February. I love that you also brought in logistics and supply chain. I, I studied industrial engineering and I remember mm. one of my first kind of logistics class, we, we were looking at a pair of Levi's and we had the world map and then we're seeing everything that's going. And I remember having that, what the fuck? Yeah. Like moment as like a young, yeah. unexperienced person in the business world. So I, I completely agree with you. Second question though, let's move quickly. Most of our listeners are emerging managers. Mm -hmm. What are your top tips for them? Oh, so I would have a bunch, but one thing I think is like, you will never reach certainty when you invest. I think that's one of the biggest things. Like everybody wants to turn poker into chess. Everybody wants to sit there with cards and think, I don't know these things. I don't know what you're having. If I could just play four more hands, yeah, it. it's like, it's never gonna like, it's not chess. Like in chess, you can see the game. You might be stressed, but you can see all the like, pieces. Yeah. I think just be like, 
just accept that you know stuff. And then if you don't feel comfortable with that, you probably can't work in C. Like you probably have to work in B and C rounds. I think that's one of the things is handling ambiguity really well. I think that's a super big thing. I think the other thing is like, I feel like trust is a thing where it's like, if there is really no question about trust. Because if you don't trust somebody, there's no conversation about it. Like you don't trust them. You can never say, I'm not sure I trust them. Because you say I don't trust them, you don't trust yeah, them. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're investing in a startup and you're like, I'm not sure I trust them, then I mean, A, either bring it up with them or B, don't invest in them. Yeah. So I think that's one of the things I really don't like is like when one has a, and I mean, the reason I'm saying these learnings is like I have had them as well, right? One of the things is like when you invest in a startup is like if I think that I can run their company better, if I think I can send them a thousand questions and you know help them do, just like instead say, hey man, like I just wonder like when you're doing these things, like do you, do you, can I help you? Do you know this thing? And not like doing it by sending reporting questions, this is like, yeah, and, and he and she might say, I don't know it that well. And me saying, it's fine. It's like one of the things about being a LP, uh, sorry, a VC, is like, is with depression. A good friend of mine, his kid had cancer. Horrible story, really horrible story. And the thing is, one of the things I really learned in that episode, and though it happened, was like, when somebody is depressed or in a bad place, they essentially are sitting at the bottom of a dark pit. What most people are doing is they really want to avoid the pit because they don't want to go close to this person who's so depressed, this is horrible. So they don't bother them. What people should do is they can climb down the pit and just sit with this person. So when my friend, this happened to my friend, I essentially just made a huge lasagna, biked over to their place, handed it over and said, Carl, here's lasagna, you don't need to talk to me. And he was like, do you want to come in? I was like, no, I don't think you want me to come in. And he was like, well, actually, no. And I was like, no, here's some lasagna. And I left, because I was like, what do I do when, I mean, I have three kids, what happened when I got kids? I didn't want people to come over, I just wanted food and toilet paper, and then leave me alone. <laughs> so I think it's like, realizing that when the founder is like a shitty situation, because you always are, it's just like crawl down in the pit with them. Just sit there and go like, how can I help out? And not like, I wanted this reporting three days ago. It's the board meeting today. It's like, the reason we didn't send this is because they're in a shit state. So that's one of the things. And it's so easy to you be stressed because you have LPs you should report to. But realizing that sometimes you just have to write about a company. We don't have data. The company is in a distressed state. We're trying to help out. And one of the LPs are going to call you and say, why do you know? And you're like, we're trying to help them. Nobody will kill you. No LP will be like, I hate you. They'll be like, oh, do you think we're right off the company? You'll be like, maybe. Maybe. And they're going to be like, okay. Nobody will be like, you're an idiot. Like, and that's the thing. Is like, that's a thing which is so common. Is like, the worst thing that can happen is somebody will be angry at you for five minutes on a phone. That's it. Yeah. The worst thing you can do is you can propagate that anger against somebody who's sitting in the bottom of a pit. Awesome. Harris, this was amazing. You promised us before this that we would probably go over time. I think we did. We didn't go. We didn't go two hours and fifteen minutes, but we uh, we did go about. Yeah, but we did cut questions. <laughs> so, thank you for joining us. Thank lots. And I would just like one last thing, which then is like I sound very categorical when I say stuff, and it's because I can't handle when people give advice, which is like, it's a little bit of that, a little bit. So anybody who listened to this and was offended, just I'm sorry. I'm not, I, I'm not as a bad person as I sound. I just want to try to give you sound bites that mean something and not like well. Well, it depends. Yeah. Hampus jumped into this recording unscheduled, unannounced, so that's how nice he is. <laughs> trying. Thank you for trying. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love our show, share it with your friends and join us in the EU VC community syndicates at theeuropeanvc.com. Want to be on top of who the best up-and-coming emerging VCs in Europe are and maybe even invest with them? Register for our newsletter at theemergingvc.substack.com and be the first to get in the know.